Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 174, and today's guest is Sam Leong, CEO and co-founder of Otter. This episode must have been fate. I subscribed to an email newsletter about podcasting from Podreacher, and they had recommended Otter for transcriptions. I had already been looking for a way to include a transcript for each podcast episode on VentureFizz, but I wanted something that was, of course, accurate and cost-effective. No, this is certainly not a commercial for Otter, but I tested out the product and was blown away by its accuracy. If you go to our recent podcast episodes, you'll now see a full transcript available, which is powered by Otter. Anyway, a few weeks later after becoming a fan of their product, I heard from their PR firm about having Sam on as a guest on our podcast. When I took a deeper dive into his background, that's when things just got even more interesting. You see, Sam is one of the original creators of Google Maps. Yeah, you know, the app that you can't live without. He is credited for developing the Blue Dot feature. And after Google, he launched a successful startup that was acquired. And now with Otter, he has a very big vision in terms of how their platform might even change our lives. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Sam's background, including his PhD studies at Stanford under famed professor David Cheriton, the story of his involvement in creating Google Maps, and of course, the blue dot, the details on Sam's previous company, Alohar, and the acquisition by Alibaba, a deep dive into Otter in terms of its many use cases, plus the complexity of their platform and the use of AI and deep learning what the future might look like if you could document and search all of your conversations, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, we just launched user profiles on VentureFizz. It is a new offering that gives you access to lots of new features and tools to help manage your job search. It is step one towards a goal of providing you with a customized experience on VentureFizz. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash register to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Sam. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Kiz, for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because um, it, it just so happened that when uh, one of your PR representatives reached out about having this interview, I had just started using Otter. So it was like one of those perfect scenarios of, uh, I love this product. And wow, uh, I'm getting uh, an opportunity to speak to the founder of Otter. And then to learn about your background of what you've done before that is extraordinary. So it's... This is a, this is an exciting opportunity to really dig, you know, dig deep into your background and all these great things that you've built. Um, so, but before we get into all that, let's let's talk about you know, kind of your foundational years. So, where did you grow up? What were, what were you like as a kid? Um, I was born in Beijing, China. I grew up there. Um, it was a uh, a very wealthy time for China at that time. So um, did a lot of a hardship, um, you know, the even food was uh, not sufficient at that time, mm-hmm. but we managed to survive. Um, then uh, I studied computer science at Peking University in China. Then after that, I came to the United States for graduate schools. Uh, at first, I went to Tucson, Arizona, um, and studied computer science for my master's degree. The um, I met my wife there actually at Tucson, okay. um, so really 
good memory with uh, Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Although it's really hot. And um, well, I love Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've been there. I've been to Arizona, not the Grand Canyon yet, which is shocking because it's like the number one spot I haven't been to yet that I absolutely need to. Now, how, how did you get into computer science? Like, what was your first computer? Like, what was the passion there? My, my older brother studied computer science. Um, so that made it easy when I saw him uh, programming. Well, at that time, uh, especially in China, computers were very rare, actually. They were in this special computer room, and uh, you have to change clothes. You have to take up your shoes. Don't make, uh, make sure you don't uh, bring dust into the machine room. Um, so it's totally different <laughs> than uh, what we have today. You, know, you have a supercomputer on your uh, palm. And those days, yeah, even the number of hours we can use those computers were very limited. Um, so it's, uh, it's totally different time. Now, you ended up at Stanford, and what I saw was um, third time was the charm. You applied twice, and then you weren't accepted the first two times, but the third time you were. Yeah, it was, you know, I wasn't the smartest kid and I tried multiple times and they turned me down and, uh, you know, I, I was persistent. Um, eventually they took me and um, the uh, electrical engineering uh, department actually has a very interesting system um, to be qualified uh, for a PhD, for the PhD program you have to pass the qualification exam. For that exam, you need to have a um, <clears throat> live uh, interview with 10 professors. Mm -hmm. And every professor, it all happened maybe uh, in a week for hundreds of students. And each one will meet with 10 professors and they will uh, test you, grade you, ask you questions, and they will, you know, give you a score. They normalize the score for each professor, you know, based on the curve, and then they add up your, you know, your uh, a total score. Then they rank all the students. And they only, you know, pick the I forgot the number, the the top students, and the rest are eliminated. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky I passed. Um, and then um, I had to choose my uh, PhD direction. Um, so I uh, was lucky to convince a Professor David Sheraton to take me. Uh, and he asked me, hey, you know, what did you do in the past? You know, show me your transcript. So I got a number of A pluses on my transcript and, and, and uh, impressed him. So he took me as a student. Um, and I work on my PhD thesis with him for several years. And uh, I'm glad he let me uh, graduate because actually it's really tough. You know, some other students may take 10 years to graduate. So mm -hmm. I, it took me a little bit shorter than that. No, so the, what, what were you studying? What was the, uh, the PhD in? Like, what was your research? I was in the electrical engineering department, uh, but between the uh, E department and the CS uh, department, they, there is not a strict uh, line to separate the research areas. Basically, between the two departments, you can 
choose any professors to work with and any topics uh, you want to uh, work on. So um, I chose uh, Professor David Sheraton in the computer science department. Um, I just, you know, I, I was really passionate about large scale distributed systems, um, networking. Um, that turned out to be actually really critical to build large scale internet services. If you look at like service like Google or Facebook, it's um, tremendously complicated uh, because you're handling, you know, a huge amount of data, huge amount of traffic every day. How do you make sure um, you can um, manage that huge amount of data in a very reliable way? Uh, with high performance, low latency, um, and and uh, you have you know thousands of machines working together, um, it's uh, immensely uh, complicated. So you know I was doing research in that area that definitely helped me a lot afterwards. Uh, you know when I was working at Google and now uh, been working on startups for ten years, uh, you know with Otter, you know we can. Talk more about that. You know, tremendous amount of voice data we're handling. Exactly. Yeah, and and, and as it scales, it's just uh, one of those things that you have to you have the foundation and know how to uh, to accomplish those critical objectives. Now, but did you think you wanted to stay in academia? Like when, when some people stay in research, but then you moved out of academia and onto Cisco, right? Yeah, initially I was thinking to uh, be, uh, become a professor, mm -hmm. uh, staying in academia. But in, in Silicon Valley, after working in Silicon Valley and, and looking around uh, at Stanford, we said, wow, actually the industry is more exciting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you saw those uh, at that time, the early two, uh, year 2000, uh, to 2003, and, and Yahoo was a high-flying. Google just started uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. In they started in '97. You know, my professor uh, David Sheraton gave them a check of $100,000 to start Google. So at that moment, I was I was heads down working on my thesis. I didn't pay too much attention to Google at that time. Uh, you, know, you need to be focused to uh, to, to to actually. Um, pass the uh, uh, high bar of the David Sheraton. I mean, he is an extremely tough guy to work with. You know, just too smart. You know, I I I I, I always feel so much pressure there. Uh, but um, yeah, looking around, and you know, so many startups. Um, well, some failed, some some succeeded. But I felt like, okay, maybe someday I should, you know, build a startup myself. And also, you know, from David Sheraton, and he has been teaching us that, you know, don't just work on a small problem, you know, look at a large problem, a big problem that, you know, if you solve it, you can change the world. So I learned a lot from him um, because, you know, not only he, Funded the founders of Google and VMware, and he had multiple startups himself. So uh, I felt like, okay, that's actually maybe a building a company can generate bigger impact than um, going to academia. Got it. Okay. So then you worked at uh, Cisco and Tropos Networks, but then you landed at Google, which um, Talk about what you were first working on at, at Google, and then 
you know, how did that transition into what we all know now as Google Maps? Yeah, when I first started the Google, I was working on a different project. Um, at that moment, it was 2006, there was no 3G network. Um, so uh, there was no smartphone. Um, but there, there were uh, uh, laptops, you can carry a laptop, although it's much bigger than it is today. Uh, but when you're taking your laptop, you go to, um, you know, um, visit some places in the restaurant, there's no, there no uh, internet there. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that moment, we worked on a project to pr- create a metro Wi-Fi system. That, you know, the idea was to put um, a lot of Wi-Fi routers on the light poles. And um, you know, we use that to cover the entire city. So no matter where you go, you always have Wi-Fi connection. Um, it 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 sounds really crazy at this moment because everywhere you go, you have the 3G or even 5G now. But at that moment, uh, it was an experimental project. Um, so I worked on that project first. We actually covered almost the entire Mountain View city here uh, with Wi-Fi um, signals. And while working on that, I was doing testing, um, you know, in uh, Castro um, Street uh, in downtown Mountain View. I used my laptop and connected to our Wi-Fi network. I realized that, oh, actually, I can actually determine the uh, location of my uh, laptop based on the Wi-Fi routers uh, we're connected with. So that's when um, I started the Google Location Platform project. Uh, of course, you know we are. I, I'm not the one who invented this idea. There, there were other companies working on similar ideas too. But we actually built a really large-scale system at Google. So with that, like, so did you, was this like your 20% time that you started working on this? Or was this like, did you have to, you know, pitch this idea internally and start working on it full time? Actually, I don't remember exactly. Um, I thought it was interesting. So I just started working on it. I think it, it was a 20% project at that time. Mm-hmm. Then the 20% become, you know, 50% and 80% and, and actually over 100% later. Um, don't know exactly when, uh, but um, at some point, the uh, Apple, you know, at that time was uh, Steve Jobs was planning to launch the first iPhone, and they made um, a really the um, killer app on the first iPhone. Right. So Map would be a fantastic app. Um, so they. Uh, contacted us in Google, so we worked together. Um, I, mo- I mostly focus on the backend system on the server side, and there's a separate team that built the, uh, the mobile map. Right. But together, we create the uh, blue dot system that allows um, the map, the mobile map, to show a blue dot to indicate your current location, and when you move around, it will track you. Well, help you navigate. You know, turn left or turn right when you try to look for the uh, restaurant. <laughs> so this is, and you're on this patent, so you're one of the inventors of the blue dot. 
Yeah, there are a number of patents there. Uh, we actually won, uh, our team won the uh, Google Founders Award. Uh, so I was part of the team. Why blue? Could have been red, could have been orange. <laughs> yeah, red is a little, little too, uh, looks dangerous, I guess. Uh, blue is uh, pleasant. Did you work with Skyhook Wireless at all? Do you remember that company? Like that was the, the original iPhone location awareness technology. It was a company based out of Boston. I don't know if that connects the dots at all, but. I had some interaction with them, but uh, not a whole lot myself. Yeah. Got it. So over your time at Google, like, you know, before you, you moved on, like where was, you know, the whole, you know, Google Maps product, you know, and, and what are your thoughts on where it is today? Well, it was uh, 14 years ago. That's, that's when we started. Um, well, obviously this is today, this is a must have, right? And when right. you move around, when you visit a new place, we look for a new restaurant, um, this becomes um, the the default map, and you know people are taking it for granted now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 you, you always have the Google Map available, even when you're, you're traveling overseas. At that time, um, you know, when we first started, we we thought it would be it would be big, but we didn't know it would be this big. Um, it just, you know, um, when you make it so accessible and easy to use, the usage will grow, you know, exponentially, actually beyond your initial anticipation. So, so what, what's it feel like to have a product that's used by so many people? I mean, pretty much everybody uses Google Maps. It'll make you feel good. And I, I, it make you feel like you, you, um, you made an impact. Uh, your work is not wasted. I know. Actually, there are a lot of product. Well, a lot of products on the market, or even within Google, a lot of products they're they're never launched. Uh, people spend many hours on it, days and nights, and you know, some project were never launched, or some product launched and then failed. You know, yeah, um, it, it's hard to predict, but you need to have the vision. You need to understand there is a market, there is a need, and the technology needs to work and you need to f- figure out the right user experience. Everything has to be aligned for a product to succeed. So I'm really glad that Google Map um, was so, so successful. So after Google, you went to f- be a founder of your own company and you know, it's, it sounds like you were working, well, you were an EIR at, at DFJ. So you're working with Tim Draper and then back with Professor Cheriton. So, uh, so what was the, the, the company that you founded after leaving Google? Yeah, the company, um, uh, it, the name was Alohar. Uh, it's a little weird name. Uh, it's the, you know, the Aloha is the uh, hello uh, in ha- Hawaii. And then we just add a letter R at the end. Some people actually uh, told me that they don't like the name because it sounds like uh, pirates talking. Um, the, um, but the idea was actually, uh, pretty crazy at that time. Um, the, I don't know if you are familiar with this company called Foursquare. Sure. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Everybody was checking in and becoming a mayor. Right. 
So uh, around that time, 2008 to 2010, Foursquare uh, was actually uh, really popular. Mm -hmm. you know, they invented that concept of check-in. Um, so you, you, you go to a nice restaurant, you check in and tell your friends. It's pretty cool. Um, but you know, I was asking the question, okay, um, check-in is, is interesting, but actually it takes multiple steps to check-in. Mm -hmm. You have to unlock your phone first, at that time, there is no um, uh, um, facial recognition. You have to type, you know, uh, put in the pin code, um, unlock it, find the app, and you know, tap on a few buttons, and then you check in. Um, so we were thinking that, okay, can we automate everything uh, without any manual operations? So the idea was that you know, we can uh, track location passively in the background and uh, automatically figure out um, all the places the user visit, uh, the exact time you enter the restaurant, the exact time you leave the restaurant, you know, when you are moving, you, you are driving or moving around or when you are just sitting down. So um, can we automate that? And uh, then the bigger question was this actually, if we are able to do this location tracking and location uh, pattern recognition, it can actually enable a lot of new applications. Um, you know, one application we created was uh, for family members to stay connected, you know, uh, the parents and children, everyone has this uh, app, they can always see where everybody is, you know, one night, leave work and pick up the kid and daycare, my wife can see that I, I got to the daycare and I pick up the kid. Sometimes actually we had to, you know, uh, coordinate because, you know, maybe one person has to work uh, overtime and we have to have the other person to pick up the kid. Sometimes they're miscommunicated, nobody pick up the kid. Right. Um, and also, you know, when I arrive at Safeway, the grocery store, my wife would automatic notification and she sometimes call me and say, hey, remember to buy milk or remember to buy uh, some banana. Uh, there's a lot of applications, especially when you're traveling, there's also interesting you know, when you're visiting uh, Paris, you want to remember all the places you visited, you can create a travel journal and all that. Um, so uh, that was the, uh, the uh, aloha system we built. Uh, it actually went uh, uh, pretty successful. And these days, actually, um, with COVID-19, a system like that, tracking system, actually will be really useful. This is actually what Korea, South Korea, has been doing. Oh, really? Um, they use a mobile map to track all the uh, uh, COVID-19 confirmed cases, mm -hmm. if you're close to a, a confirmed case, they send you a notification automatically and say, hey, be careful in that area, there are confirmed coronavirus cases. Mm. Um, and actually, recently I see Google and Apple are trying to do something similar. Right, so, yeah. Yeah. That. So yeah. that concept, you know, we actually, I believe we are the very first one who did that for both Android phones and, and uh, iPhone. Uh, 
10 years ago. Now it was a platform, right? Where were you creating your own apps or were other app developers creating apps on top of your platform? It's mostly a platform. Yeah. yeah we did uh, uh, create a couple of apps ourselves, but we had a lot of other developers uh, building uh, applications on top of it. Uh, one of them, I don't know if you heard about it, is called a mile IQ. Um, it's a automatic mileage expense tracking mm -hmm. system. Um, it's really useful for small and medium business to track their uh, mileage expense and they use that to deduct uh, uh, taxes. And also for business travelers, if they drive their own car for businesses, they can actually uh, get reimbursement based on the mileage they drive. In the past, they have to like manually track the uh, mileage they drive every week, which is actually a big pain. You have to document it for the accounting and auditors to make sure you know, there's, there's no uh, fraud. And with MileIQ, it's all automated. They actually use our SDK in uh, iPhone and Android to do the tracking and automatically calculate the mileage. Um, that company actually went really successful. The whole system was built on top of our platform and all the data actually stored in our database. And that company, uh, if you uh, search on the internet, uh, they were later acquired by Microsoft uh, with a very good price. Um, well, and then your and your company was acquired by was it a division of Alibaba, like Autonavi, or? Yeah, Autonavi is actually the uh, sort of the Google Map in China. Okay. Um, and um, at that moment, we were actually raising a new round of funding. We got offers from top VCs, and then we also got. Uh, um, acquisition offers from uh, some Silicon Valley companies and Alibaba learned about that and joined the, the bidding. And at um, uh, that time, you know, we thought, okay, you know, with Auto Navy, it, uh, you know, they have a lot of users there. You know, this can be really interesting to generate big impact. So eventually we took their offer. And Auto Navy actually, uh, uh, was immediately acquired by Alibaba. So actually we know that later it's actually, it's probably the uh, decision on the Alibaba side as well, because the Alibaba actually already had board member on Auto Navy and the uh, board of Auto Navy decided to make this acquisition. Got it. Well, let's talk about Otter. So as I, you know, as I kicked off the conversation, I first heard about your product through um, an email newsletter that I get called Pod Reacher. So it's focused on you know podcasting, and um, they had done a uh, like kind of a ranking of transcription services, and it was something that I knew in the back of my head that I probably should have transcription of our podcast interviews on you know the post, and uh, it just I didn't know what to do because there's a lot of different options out there. Uh, yet this was a very timely. Uh, you know, survey and, you know, it ranked Otter number one. So I just jumped to Otter and signed up and it reminded me a lot of my experience with Zoom. I've been a Zoom user for probably a year and a half now and it just, it worked, right? You just, it wasn't uh, 
the UI was simple. It was a very easy process. Doing video with Zoom is great. It's just been a, an amazing product even before everyone's work from home. So, you know, signing up for Otter and just going through the process of uploading the audio file. And then what I was most blown away by was the level of accuracy that I got in return because I've used other providers before. And it was like, ah, this is more of a headache than what it's worth because it's not accurate. But you like, so first, what, what led you down the path of starting the company? And, and how, how did you get it to the point where it's so, so accurate? Yeah, I would give credit to our AI team. Um, you know, we, we've got some amazing AI scientists in our team. Um, these, uh, the system, you know, it's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, the, if you look at the teams at Google, um, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, mm-hmm. Uh, each of them actually have hundreds of people working on this type of problem. Uh, the Alexa team must be enormous. Like, I don't know exactly their headcount, but it's uh, it's a pretty big team. And um, there's several reasons. One is that we actually focusing on uh, when you have a podcast, you're usually having an interview with one or you know several other people. It is a conversation between multiple people. This is actually a lot more complicated than the Alexa use case. When you use Alexa, you say a hot phrase like, hey, Alexa, to wake it up. Then you ask a short question like, what's the weather tomorrow? Or give a command like, you know, set alarm at 3 p.m. So it's a very short question or a command issued by a single speaker. So most of their system were built to optimize for this case. Uh, even Google, the, the biggest use case for them is uh, voice search. Um, you know, you try to search for something by uh, issue. Uh, request by voice. The system, although Google later, you know, have have something on YouTube as well, but there's still their system actually doesn't work very well for this type of human to human conversations, mm-hmm. um, which happen in a podcast or even more broadly um, for like millions or billions of business meetings. Uh, in the product team, you have project meetings, you have stand-ups, um, there's business marketing people having phone calls or Zoom meetings all the time. Now, you know, everybody's with COVID-19, you know, uh, you know, people are working from home. Then how do they communicate? They have tons of Zoom calls or handouts or, you know, um, WebEx calls. People talk a lot to communicate. Um, but if you look at the, the, the history, you know, more and more data are actually being captured and analyzed, but still majority of the voice conversations is actually all lost. Uh, you spend so much time talking to each other um, to communicate, but the voice data is mostly um, lost and wasted, actually. Uh, 
for all those meetings, you can take manual notes on a piece of paper, uh, or you try to type in a computer. They all have their uh, challenges and, and uh, pain points, right? Um, if you take uh, notes on a paper notebook, first of all, I cannot recognize my own handwriting. Um, <laughs> secondly, when I need to look for information, I don't know which page it was on. You can't search. Yeah. Well, if you, you take notes on your laptop, it does take your eyes off the, uh, the other uh, people, uh, mm-hmm. from the other people. You just, you're not having eye contact with it. And, you know, it, it, it distracts you. Yeah, and there's so many use cases. Yeah. Yeah, like like my background before VentureFizz was recruiting, and I would talk to lots of people every day, and I I became a really good typer. It's the one uh, course in high school that I'm gr- very grateful that I took because I was able to type as the person was talking and getting the key elements. But if I had this instead, I could relax and listen instead of you know trying to type while the person was talking. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we're trying to do. You know, the, having this uh, all this back-to-back Zoom meetings, um, mm-hmm. I find it extremely stressful. Uh, it's even more stressful than meeting people in person. Um, I try to understand why. One reason I found why was that when you're having a video conference, you're staring at the small computer screen for an hour. It's actually really stressful, but with other, at least it can help you in a certain way that you have the peace of mind that the information is captured, mm-hmm. all the information is captured, and everything is searchable. One reason we created this was we look at in you know, Gmail, why is Gmail so, so, so successful? One reason is that Gmail search works so well. Um, anything in the email, you can find it instantly. You know, even if it was like three years ago, you can find it instantly. But if you look at all the time you spend in meetings, um, I can't even recall clearly, you know, like three days ago, somebody told me about um, that product. Uh, you know, who is that guy? You know, you know did, this, did he say $1 million or $2 million? I can't find that information. Um, so we see actually with order, you know, all of this becomes so easily accessible. So not only is this a personal tool, it's actually we see this is more powerful when your team use it because it's all about collaboration, information sharing um, in a team to make it um, successful, right? Um, when we have a meeting with 10 people, uh, not everybody is paying attention all the time, especially when you're working from home remotely, you're handling multiple things. And sometimes the kids needs attention. Sometimes the dog is uh, barking. Um, but with order, it's actually much more powerful than the uh, closed caption. With closed caption, even if you can see the caption, it's gone within seconds. Once it's gone, you can't find it anymore. But with order, you can scroll back, you know, 10, 15 minutes, or you can just search for keywords quickly. And the other aspect is that the 
um, for busy professionals, um, they're oftentimes uh, they're double booked. Um, you know, you cannot go to all the meetings. Um, but if you know your colleague will alter this and share the alter note with you, then you can decide actually to skip a lot of meetings right. to save time. You could cut your meeting time by 20%, 30%. Because when you get the alter note, you can you know, just glance at the, uh, the transcript or look at the highlights. You know, alter actually now uh, lets you highlight important parts. So your colleague can just highlight 10 sentences um, and that's all you need. Just a couple of minutes, you get all the all the information you need without spending one hour uh, joining the meeting live. Well, you know we are you know in this crazy world right now of you know COVID nineteen a pandemic, um, but it's interesting to see how people are adapting, and you know Zoom is now pretty much a verb. You know people are just saying you know video call is now called a Zoom. Their brand, yeah. which is amazing. Right. Uh, and your business has been seeing tremendous growth. Like you're integrated with Zoom, you know, it's 5X increase in usage over the past month. Uh, yeah. You know, students are using it. So the use cases are, you know, exploding. So um, you've raised capital. So you've raised 23 million to date, um, recently led, uh, closed 10 million. What, what, like, what's the plan for, for Otter moving forward? Want to continue the uh, exponential growth? Um, you know, someday can we become another Zoom? Uh, of course, in a different uh, type of business or different type of service, uh, we do see Otter provides a new way to collaborate. It uh, complement Zoom and other video conferencing system um, for remote work for working from home. As well as actually, um, you know, you can use uh, Otter for in-person meetings as well. Mm -hmm. um, it works on your laptop, it works on mobile devices. So um, we're building this collaboration productivity, a, a new product to you know, improve collaboration and communi uh, communication. The, um, another actually interesting trend we see is that a, a lot of uh, conferences are canceled due to COVID-19 and they're moving them online to have virtual events. Um, in the past two years, we actually have been working with a number of high profile conferences. For example, TechCrunch Disrupt San Francisco. In starting 2018, they started to use Otter to live transcribe all the speeches and panel discussions. And they made the transcript available to the attendees. It's actually additional value for those attendees to subscribe to the, the conference. I, I just, I think it's fascinating how like voice is like new, right? Or highly relevant, like more relevant than before. Like, just, you know, even basic use cases of the voice remote, like, I, like if my kids have to actually like punch in something with the remote to change the channel on TV, they'll, they'll like freak out now because of the, the you know, voice recognition on the remote. They just hit a button and say what they want. It's just, you know, it's just so amazing. Yeah. We, you know, we recognize that, um, 
the the voice command and Alexa, Google Home is uh, they are all very interesting, uh, but Otter is actually focusing on a different type of problem that actually um, voice happened even more uh, on a on a very on an even bigger scale because uh, for voice command, you know, it's every time it lasts a few seconds and in a day, you know, the limited number of uh, times you need to talk to a device. You probably spend much more time talking to other people uh, in meetings mm-hmm. of calls or Zoom meetings. And those products actually don't support uh, this use case. And, and this is actually what Otter focuses on. Yeah. And we think it actually has even bigger scale than the voice commands well maybe there'll be some day where every word you speak is actually taken down for historic reference of course you know the people are concerned i totally agree um that's you know we think eventually it will happen it just um you know uh, your entire life can be uh, ordered a giant diary. Uh, of course, I mean you want to protect the privacy, you want to protect the confidentiality, and make sure the access control is strictly enforced, so you don't leak data. Mm-hmm. But you know, when everything is ordered uh, in a system, it's going to give you a lot more um, information, insights. Um, which is, uh, we think it just opened the door to a lot of new applications. Yeah. I mean, education, another one, like, I just think the way, uh, students are able to learn now very visually with YouTube or something like this, where, um, you know, so running on the treadmill, if I'm watching Netflix or something, I can't hear because my, my beats wireless aren't loud enough. So I started getting used to watching closed caption television. I, (laughs) absorb it so much but even though i'm probably not capturing the whole you know visual uh, i'm understanding what's going on way better so now i've started watching tv normally with closed captioning and and i think if there was a professor teaching me and i was able to you know actually see the words spoken as well like like just looking at otter doing what it's doing right now as you're speaking it's just it would be i think better for me for learning yeah, absolutely. We see online education um, can really benefit from these uh, new technologies and new products. Um, that's actually what um, a lot of universities are doing now. Uh, we're working with UCLA, uh, UCSF, Tulane University. Um, they deployed order. Um, uh, one motivation actually was to help uh, students with harder hearing, uh, or, you know, they cannot hear very well or some other learning disabilities, right? There's some people, you know, have just trouble, uh, you know, understanding quickly. Um, and so with Otter, you know, just enhance their learning experience. And now like, not just the, those students uh, need other, you know, with online classes today. Um, just, you know, as you said, this actually provide a new channel for them to learn. And it augment the voice and the video 
Uh, now the, there's additional piece of information you can use. Uh, and the transcript can be you know, generated live, maybe it's searchable. It's, um, it's also you know, really easy to share with other people. Um, when you share with other people, you know, you, you know, you can, again, quickly, the, the algorithm will be able to summarize information as well, not just the raw transcript. So I want to be clear that the, uh, this is just the beginning of a long roadmap ahead of us. Transcription is just the first step to capture the voice and convert that to text, but we won't stop there. The next step is to understand the conversation. What's the content? What's the knowledge? What's, what's the question they ask and what's the answer for that? Right. Later, you could ask Otter and say, hey, last week, who told me about that new speech recognition thing? What's their accuracy and how many users do they have? You can ask Otter those questions and Otter can find it from all your past conversations. That will be cool, yeah. Well, for other entrepreneurs that are you know, building products, like what, what advice would you give to someone that, like how do you avoid cool technology versus solving a real problem, right? Because there's different technology that's really groundbreaking, but doesn't necessarily have maybe that actual product market fit. So what, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs on building cool technology, but actually solving a real world problem? Yeah, I wouldn't say we can give advice at this point. You know, we're, we're still small, we're still growing. Um, just some experience to share, of course, the definitely try to, you know, target a, a big problem rather than solving a, a very tiny problem. You know, mm. in, in this case, we see you know, the, the potential size of the market is so big. Basically, if you think about it, how many hours does each person talk every day? Mm -hmm. um, how much communication is done um, uh, via voice communication? Um, you know, you can do some, you know, back envelope calculation. It just is tremendously big number. And of course, you want to make sure you know your technology is mature enough to solve that problem. You know, if you if we were doing uh, if we were doing this uh, ten years ago, actually, um, technology wasn't good enough. Um, the the it just uh, the, the error rate is so high; it's not feasible. It's not usable. Today, you know, with all our um, new invention, we're able to get. Uh, much higher accuracy, although it's not 100% accurate, but we're at a state that is, is uh, feasible, it's usable, um, although it's not perfect. So yeah, the product market fit is always a tough question. Uh, how do you find it? Um, you know, do you know when you find it? Um, and of course, there are always competitors out there. Um, you want to move fast, you want to grab the market, um, Google, Facebook, Amazon, they're, they're always uh, a potential threat. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are always new startups that prove that, oh, they can move faster, they can provide better experience. And Zoom is a great example. Um, mm -hmm. When Zoom was born in 2011, there were 
um, WebEx, Google Hangouts was free. There's go Skype, to right? Uh, go to meeting, but if, if if Google Hangouts is an independent business, I I I don't think they can survive. <laughs> you know, Zoom just completely crushed them. Uh, even if you know, you know, Google has an infinite amount of a cash behind it. So what do you like to do outside of work when you're not building Otter? <laughs> um, actually, recently I was talking uh, with my friends. I said, you know, I just have so many Zoom meetings every day. I was really stressed. So I gave myself a, a challenge. It's, I call it the Zoom mileage challenge. Um, what does it mean? Every hour I spend on Zoom, I said I have to run at least one mile. Or do some workout to burn 100 calories. So uh, I've been running a lot. Actually, I look at my my Strava statistics. I, I saw my weekly mileage has been uh, going up steadily uh, since the uh, uh, the COVID nineteen happened. So running a lot. I, I actually beat my own uh, Zoom hours. The last week I run like. Uh, 63 miles. So I, I don't think I had 63 hours of Zoom. Uh, okay. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, no, I've I like. Uh, I mean, I've been working out a lot more. My kids work out probably multiple times a day because they just like, what am I gonna do now? Like, I can only watch you know YouTube for so long and Netflix, uh, and you know school's all online, so it's just like they need you know to do. And, and I, you know, it gave me, you know, it helped me relax uh, when I'm running, and um, it helped me actually think uh, creatively. Uh, when I'm running, I, I often get creative ideas. Well, Sam, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background, all the great stories and great companies that you've built. And obviously, you know, what you're up to now with Otter, I'm excited to see what, what the future holds for the company. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.